United Colours, hosted by Caroline Verdon and Paul Carruthers. Voices from the LGBT plus staff network at Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust. Hello, uh, welcome to episode one. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, so February is LGBT plus history month and you had the idea, didn't you, to celebrate that via the medium of sound? Absolutely. I think we're really keen here at Leeds Teaching Hospitals to acknowledge the month and we try to think of cool and interesting ways to do it. And I know we've had a really successful podcast series in the past. So we thought we'd uh, re-explore that idea and ask some of our colleagues here that work in Leeds Teaching Hospitals to share their stories about what it's like to be LGBT plus and work here in our fabulous trust. I've never worked for an organisation that has staff network so just the whole concept feels a bit alien to me but tell me about because you you head up don't you the lgbt plus staff network what what is it oh the pressure yeah so i (laughs) (laughs) i chair the staff network um so they're put together um to help anybody that might be a protected characteristic so in this case it's anybody who identifies as lgbt plus but we've also got the disability network and the bme network um So it's a place for people who work here in LTHT um, or anywhere else, I suppose, that have staff networks. But for us, it's here in LTHT that identify as LGBT plus. And I guess where they may want to come for some guidance, meet other people that are like them, um, managers who want to come for advice on, for example, somebody who might be coming out as trans in the workplace. Um, So we have the fun social stuff. We make sure that we meet and, you know, have a bevy or a cup of tea and support each other informally and formally but we also do the serious stuff and make sure that everyone is looked after here and I I take my role really seriously. And so the idea behind this podcast series is we're looking at four episodes where we meet different members of staff from the hospitals but who are also members of the staff network and for me as somebody who was now you're going to need to correct me when I inevitably get this wrong but I'm going to do my best so I was born female I classify myself as a woman, which means I'm cisgendered. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And so do I. Yeah, I was born as male and I identify as male. Um, So in terms of gender identity, yes, we would both class ourselves as being cisgendered. So although I'm a gay man, um, it's important to differentiate that sexuality is completely different to gender identity. But yeah, well done. Thank you you very much. Um, And so in the series, we're going to meet people with all different gender identities, with all different sexualities and with different stories as well, because obviously we're all we're all different. We all come with our own life experiences and all of that. Um, And we're just going to be looking at what can be done as colleagues, what can be done as organisations to help support individuals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was really keen to make sure that we have some voices heard. The LGBT plus umbrella is vast and gender identities are vast and wide as our sexualities. But we've chosen some brave individuals who are happy to share their stories about what it's like to be a gay woman a gay man, a trans woman and a non-binary person and talk a little bit about their own personal experiences outside of the work environment. But I guess the aim of the podcast series is for people to listen and realise that sexuality and gender identity can still impact on your uh, day-to-day job. So first up, we're going to speak to B. So B is cisgendered, she's a lesbian and her pronouns are she and her. 
Yeah, and we're really lucky to have B here working in Leeds Teaching Hospitals in adult critical care. When I first started nursing, there was more stigma than there is now. And I think I was always very careful when people were getting to know me and they're asking like if I had a partner, I, I'd always be careful about what pronouns I was using. I'd kind of make that little assessment. Is this person going to be okay with me? Are they going to feel awkward? Are they going to make a complaint about me? You know, if I if I come out and I and I think that kind of thought never really goes away. And I think you always make those assessments with every new person that you meet, certainly sort of when you're talking to relatives and patients. It's something that I have got a lot more confident on over time. And I think that's because I realised the importance of me being in a more senior position and I need to be that role model and I need to give that kind of confidence to other people to be able to be themselves but I think it's really interesting because my journey's changed quite a lot recently and I think I've always been like confident and I've always been out at work but it's only when I had a line manager who's also a lesbian that things completely changed for me and I think a lot of that was I knew that I had somebody that understood me and that from that they would advocate for me because I kind of felt safe with them and um, for me that was quite a fundamental shift because for the first time I I felt like I could completely be myself like I think before that I'd worried like if I if I see someone say something homophobic or if I if if someone says or does something to me and I say something about it and I stand up to that what does that make me look like I kind of worry about do I look like I've got a chip on my shoulder do I look like like a radical feminist you know what's people's perceptions of me but I think the minute that I found somebody else that was in the same minority group as me it just made me feel a lot safer Um, and then it it kind of like it wiped out all of those worries and insecurities because I could then just focus on my job and not have to have these little voices worrying about things. That's a big shift. It's been really liberating and I kind of I want that for all of our staff really so I think it does go beyond sort of LGBTQ plus it needs to permeate through to everybody to feel safe but I think certainly for sort of our our minority group it is an issue because there's a lot of polarisation in society you know we've got a populist government there's sometimes a lot of um, far-right discourse which makes some people's identities within our community almost controversial even though they're just being themselves and you know we come to work but all of those opinions and thoughts come to work with us so I think some people can maybe feel a little bit unsafe like what's going to happen to me if I am that authentic person that Mm. I want to be. Is there a tricky dynamic between you know in lots of workplaces you can have your HR regulations and you can have your policies and your colleagues may all follow those regulations or not but you know they but in your roles you've then also got this dynamic of the general public and how does that work is there sometimes a a disconnect between between those two yeah I mean for the record that's I've never had a problem I think um, it's one of these things where you always the thoughts in your head are always worse than the reality so um, you know I've never had somebody 
who is homophobic that has sort of been prejudicial to me. I know that some of my colleagues have had that, and that's been very. And do you think with with yourself be that you know and you know correct me if I'm being offensive here but you have the privilege of you know your sexuality isn't worn visibly you know as maybe um a, a camp man or a, a trans person that is struggling with the transition do you think that that has afforded you some privileges to not come across homophobia I mean yeah and I reflect on this I think in terms of like checking my privilege I am white, cisgendered woman and I am able-bodied. I'm in a sort of a position of reasonable responsibility. Um, so I don't get a lot of the issues that I know other people face. There's a look, there's a lesbian look, but me and my partner, we look straight. Um, <laughs> and I think some of that is just like about us and how um, being lesbian is part of who I am, but it's not my entire identity. Um, so I don't feel like I have to dress in a certain way. I just can express myself like quite authentically. Um, but if I'm being really honest, I think sometimes I hide behind it as well. Like I know people who dress and look like a stereotypical lesbian. They've had violent attacks and, you know, to keep ourselves safe, we haven't done that. So I think it's kind of like, it's like, pride with a small p maybe in some ways i think it's very different when we've had kids though um mm, yeah. <laughs> i think our kids out us all the time so where, where we've always had this thing where we could walk down the street and people would just think we were friends um kids are shouting mommy mama at us <laughs> and we're like oh, God, what do we do <laughs> and has anyone ever said anything has anyone yeah you know i think um there's a lot of stuff that's sort of part of like day-to-day -day considerations but you know I I think the thing that stands out for me was um when I was a new band five nurse in an ICU I'd only been there a few weeks and I started getting to know one of my colleagues and he was asking me questions asking if I was with anybody and I just said yeah I'm married and me and my wife have been together for quite a long time and there's always a thing when you talk to straight men um, that there's a risk that they're going to start sort of the usual tropes. Um, and the, the, this guy did. He was sort of like, oh, I've always had a fantasy about two women. And, oh, um, no. You, you, oh, God. I think like most women in my position have had that quite a lot, you know, in bars and stuff. And it's, God, it's just so tedious. Um there's ways to sort of like shut down those conversations, you know, sort of, okay, buddy, I don't think you really understand how it works. Um, you know, and, <laughs> but, you know, it didn't work for him. So he just it kept on talking and kept on being a, a lot more sexually explicit with sort of like his his thoughts and, and, and his aspirations. And um, I couldn't stop him. And like this conversation was really uncomfortable and it kind of, it lasted quite a while. Um, so, I mean, I was getting increasingly uncomfortable, but by the end of the conversation, I was starting to sort of feel a bit scared really for my personal safety. Um, the only thing that actually sort of like broke up the conversation was sort of like a clinical uh, thing a colleague came over asking us for something um and I kind of like you know why didn't I kind of leave that like space and you know working in ICU you kind of you, you have to be very close to your patient because things can change in a blink of an eye um so I, I couldn't really afford to sort of leave the bed space but also it's a big unit and I didn't know where I could go 
like if I went into a break room or something whether he'd follow me and stuff like that so I felt really kind of vulnerable at that point like fortunately nothing ever happened after that time um but I never I never told anybody about it either I was new and I didn't know how that would be perceived because like, like he'd been there for a long time um I didn't want to look like someone new turns up and let's make accusations about sexual in, inappropriate conversations um so yeah I didn't say anything about that and I think some of that is because you know you do feel really vulnerable and I think when it comes to having LGBTQ plus role models at work that's why those things are really important because mm. if I had have had somebody I know that I'd have been understood that I'd have been believed and that something would have happened about it I feel like I've cultivated this attitude now of like if you decide to give a prejudiced view and you try and put your homophobia on me, I'm not going to be the one feeling vulnerable at the end of the conversation. You know, the people kind of get a vibe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that's not going to work with me. Um, but I suppose you can't you can't do that unless you feel like you have that support, because otherwise you can never turn that vulnerability the other way. I think that is the sort of like the power of having a staff network and having that support structure in place. People who just get what the problems are straight away. You know, does it happen very often? Like I say, I'm very privileged. It didn't really happen to me, but certainly in the earlier stages of my career, like I remember being newly qualified once and one of the sisters was really adamant that she needed to chaperone me in putting a female catheter in a patient. And it's just that thing of what does my sexual orientation have to do with my clinical practice? And I think this is some of the problem that we have is that, you know, our identities are over-sexualized. The problem for lesbians as well is like there's just such a lack of visibility. I remember having like a bit of a stand-up argument with someone from, from facilities once. I was talking to him and I was saying, oh, yeah, my wife doesn't let me do that. And he was like, oh, you, you said wife there, but you meant husband. Um, you know, properly mansplaining to me. And I was like, no, I meant wife. And he's like, no, 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 no. You said wife, but you meant husband. And I was like, are you for real? You know, to the point where I was like, you know, last time I checked. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, at the beginning of this, you said, oh, not really. I don't really experience any. But yeah. as we're unpicking it, I think what people don't realise when you are LGBTQ plus is, you know, those stories you're telling us and, and, and some of them, you know, sad stories that that's happened to you, you know, you are relaying and that that's, you know, fairly regular. Even one of those is more than, you know, yeah. what somebody else might not have experienced. I, I, you know, I've experienced none of those. I've never had to think about... Am I married? Yeah. Yes or no? My husband. I, I don't even think about. I don't even think about it. It's just well, you not go a... on holiday, and you won't think about what will people think when you check in. No. Nope. Um, are you looking at what country you go to? So Never. me, and my husband, we've got to research what their LGBT inclusion is like. I've got this horrendous fear of traveling abroad and them stopping and taking the boys off us, because when we went to Norway, a really progressive country. They wouldn't let us do security because we didn't have a letter from the boy's birth mother to say that they were free to leave the country, despite us explaining that they were adopted and they had passports and adoption certificates. And it took a long, long time and they eventually let us through. But that was really quite traumatic um, and really made us think, you know, 
what it's like yeah. traveling through countries even like Norway <laughs> that's horrendous Paul. Uh, yeah yeah that's why mental health in LGBTQ plus people is so high because there, there is always that that we're having to think about all the time to safeguard ourselves that's the part that maybe some heterosexual people might not realize about what it's like being gay lesbian trans you know there are all those things that we're having to think about all the time it's that additional layer, isn't it, that if you're like me, you know, if you're heterosexual, it doesn't apply. What is it that people like me who, you know, I want to be supportive, I think I'm inclusive, but what is it that we can actually be doing to help and support? I think being a really good ally, um, there's two things that I think people need to do. One is to sort of get to know people a little bit better you know these conversations are really important there's a lot of prejudice and there's a lot of stereotypes out there but I think once you get to know somebody a lot of that fades away and you realize how unnecessary it is you know there's such a toxic debate in this country about trans women at the moment and I think what I get out of that is that the people that are spouting transphobia don't know any trans women and they certainly don't have friends that are trans women. They don't love trans women because I think um, the minute that you do have those important relationships, it is all becomes unnecessary. Um, how do you get there? Like, I think sometimes people want to know a little bit more about me, but they're worried that I'm going to feel offended or, you know, that I'm going to get upset. Um and so they sort of stay in their comfort zone and they don't ask. And I think what is really useful is sometimes when you're like developing relationships with people, take a risk, be a bit bold, ask people what you're interested in. And I think, you know, being in a minority group, you, I can't speak for everybody, but I give people a lot of grace if they sort of, if they use clumsy language um, and I can sort of guide people through sort of, that um but I think it's important to have the discussions in the first place you know sort of um, in LTHT we are rolling out inclusive conversations and this is very much a part of that really but I also think you know it's good to have um a backup plan you do upset somebody what do you do about it apologize straight away <laughs> but, you know yeah. I'm really sorry I didn't mean to upset you be humble about it I think another thing that allies can do really well is uh, recognise that the power that they have as a bystander, because a lot of challenging conversations can be settled a, a lot easier. You can be in a break room and somebody can say something quite transphobic. You don't know how everybody else in that room feels about that. And it could be that there's somebody that is um, not being their authentic self. And when things aren't challenged, that can make people sort of shrink inside themselves a lot more. Um, Loretta Ross has a TED talk that's about calling out, calling in and calling on. And it's about guiding people through conversations. Well, why do you think that? Why did you say that? How do you think that makes people feel? And, you know, and just um, evolving that conversation. You know, our HR business partners are very canny. And she sort of like says the attitudes that you ignore are the standards that you accept. So actually sort of being an ally and sort of challenging opinions that are prejudicial, that's really important. And that's what makes people trust you and makes you feel safe. That's such an eloquent way of putting it, isn't it? And I think I think that's something that I'm gonna gonna try and, and remember because it is easy to turn a blind eye sometimes because you think I don't want to 
make an argument. I don't want to rock the boat. And actually, it's all of our responsibilities, isn't it, as individuals to to have those conversations. And especially for people like me, where I don't have that risk of homophobia and, and transphobia coming back at me. And I think she spoke really powerfully, but that's absolutely going to stick with me. So who have we got coming up next week? Next week, we've got the lovely Bean and Bean identifies as non-binary. They work here as a clinical support worker. And I'm really looking forward to talking to them and hearing their story. And am I right? Non-binary means Bean doesn't identify as a man or a woman. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, They don't fit into the binary box of male or female. So they use pronouns of they and them. And I'm sure they'll tell us all about that. So make sure you don't miss next week's episode. Do click follow. Uh, You can write us a review as well. Obviously, we favour the pleasant ones. But do join us when the next episode comes out next Friday at 8 o'clock. United Colours, hosted by Caroline Verdon and Paul Carruthers. United Colours is an audio production from Under the Mast. Thank you.